about what disconnects us from the Holy Spirit. Because he is our source, and it's important. And so there is something that disconnects us from God, from the Holy Spirit. And that is, I'm sorry, I'm having a little trouble here. Push this out a little bit. I think it's okay now. Sound good? Okay. So we're going to talk about sin. All this build up, just for me to say it, we're going to talk about sin. Okay. And it's a real blessed kill. I'm going to just say that right now, right? Every, no one wants to come to church. If you're here and it's your first time, you're like, this is exactly what I expected would happen at church. Every week you go and they just tell you that you're a terrible person and that you're awful and that sin. Okay. Listen, it's important. It's important that we talk about sin because it is what disconnects us from God. And so for us to understand the supernatural, we have to talk about sin and repentance. And so I'm, I'm excited today, um, and my prayer this week has been that no one here receives uh, what I say today as condemnation. Condemnation makes you hate yourself. That's when you leave and you're like, gosh, I'm the worst. I'm terrible. I just should just end it up. My prayer this week in, in praying for this message is not that, that you'll leave hating yourself, but that you will feel the Holy Spirit talking to you because the Holy Spirit brings conviction. And conviction is a conversation where he says, hey, you see this thing, this thing that's in your heart that you've been wrestling with? This disconnects us. This makes it hard to hear my voice. But let's deal with this thing in here. And so conviction makes you hate your sin. Condemnation makes you help, help hate yourself. And so I, I have been praying this week that you would not receive today under a spirit of conviction, under a lens of conviction. Uh, oh, my word. I'm mixing up these words. Condemnation, but instead conviction. We're going to get going this morning. Amen. Okay. As Christians, we accept that there is a supernatural force at work in the human heart called sin. And that right there is, is controversial, right? Because to, to a secular world point view or even other religion worldview, it's a difficult message to say, hey, we're sinners from birth. We're born wretched. We're born selfish. And we believe as Christians that we're born with sin in us. That there's nothing we can do. We're not born good and then become bad, but, but that we're born into our sin. That is a supernatural belief. And I, and I recognize that to the world that might seem like, well, that seems so negative or so intense. But that's what we believe as Christians, that we are born into sin. And so just a quick definition of what sin is, a very quick definition, because then I want to get into how the enemy works. But sin is simply breaking God's law. It's transgressing, transgressing God's ways. And if you think about it, if we have a creator, if we have been created, if there is a God that created the universe, created us, created everything we have, then he gets to set the rules for how life goes. And that might not feel great to me. There might be some things that's like, well, I don't understand. Why does he say this is wrong? He's the creator. If he exists, if he is real, and if he created everything, then he gets to say how we live. He gets to draw those lines in the sand and determine how we ought to live. It's a little bit like if you're a parent, the parent gets to set the rules for the house, right? I'm paying the bills. I'm feeding you. I'm clothing you. This little toddler's not going to come in here and be like, snacks every 10 minutes, no main meals, you know, never go to sleep. No, the parents are like, here's the guidelines for the house. And we all get on board with it. And so sin, in a very simple explanation, is that, is we break God's laws, the laws that God has set. And so as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, what makes sin so difficult not to fall into? As a Christian, if you're not a Christian, you don't, have, you don't believe in sin, well then, 
okay, then there, there's no law that you're breaking. But for Christians, when we know we believe in sin, we, it takes a faith element to believe that that's so. We believe in it. We know it's, it disconnects us from the Holy Spirit. What makes it so difficult not to fall into and not to participate in? And why is it so pervasive? And why is it so dangerous to us? And so I came up with just a few things quickly to mention of why sin is so difficult uh, or so easy for us to get into. And this is not an extensive list. This is just a quick list just to get us going on the topic. One, sin is deceptive, right? The Bible says that we don't see it. We're deceived. Oh, man. I think it's my earring. Is it my earring? Oh, it's okay. Sorry. Every, every time they struggle with this thing with me. Okay. So the first thing is, it's deceptive. The Bible says it's, you're tricked. You don't see it. You're not going to see it. And so that's why fellowship in the body, fellowship with the church, fellowship with the community of opening your life to someone is so important because you're not going to see it sometimes. That's what scripture says. It's, it's, we're tricked. We're deceived. The Bible also says that sin's pleasurable. It's fun, right? For a lot of the times, it's fun. And we don't know how long that pleasure and that fun will last. It may be 30 seconds. It may be a weekend. It may be a season. But the Bible promises that sin will lead to death. When the high of that, when the fun of it, when the pleasure of it comes to an end, it's, it's brought destruction in your life. But because it's fun and pleasurable, it's just easy to fall into. It's also easy. It's, off, it's often the easier route. That if <clears throat> the, the scripture says that narrow is the path <clears throat> that leads to salvation. It's easier to say yes when we should say no or vice versa. It's easier, it's often the easier path. And lastly, that I'm going to mention, it's justifiable. I don't mean this in a, uh, a justified to God way. I mean, we justify it. So we don't, it's very rare that someone would say, I'm just going to go out and I'm going to do some sinning because it's, I know it's wrong. I know it's going to hurt someone. I know it's going to hurt me, but I just want to do it just because I want to do it. That's a rare thing. Most of the time, we have a way of justifying it in our mind of why it's not really a sin. And so that's what can make sin so hard to see. So, it, you know, we have thoughts like, well, I deserve this. I deserve it. I've worked so hard. I'm not respected. No one appreciates me. I deserve this. She makes me feel like a man. He makes me feel heard and listened to. I've needed this. He needs to know how much this hurt me. So that's why I'm doing this thing. He needs to hurt as much as I hurt. That's only fair. Or we lie at work. You think, well, I had to lie. If I didn't lie, I would have lost my job. And you're saying you would rather me have no job to feed my kids? I didn't want to lie. The lie wasn't fun, but I had to lie. I had... We have a way, I have a way of justifying the sin I do to where it doesn't feel like sin to me. It doesn't feel like I'm transgressing God's law. It feels like there's a reason why I have to do something. So let's get into some scripture. We're going to read Genesis and see what God has to say about sin. <clears throat> Genesis 4. Now Adam had sexual relations with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, with the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Can you imagine, first woman on earth? What in the world would she think was happening to her? <laughs> oh, cool. Okay. That's why he's like, I made a man. 
man with God. That's his name. Okay. Later, she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. God gives us some interesting sight about sin here that I want to look at. First, what was unacceptable about Cain's offering? That's what we need to look at real quick first. And it's interesting because there's been lots of of messages and studies done on this, and, and many people would say, oh, well, because they were, should have bought, he should have bought a blood sacrifice like Abel. But other commentators have said there's nothing that suggests in the passage that this was a sin atonement offering. So in the Old Testament, before Jesus, New Testament Bible represents after the cross. Old Testament was before Jesus came, and before Jesus came and was our ultimate sacrifice for sin, you had to present your sin offering to atone for your sin. That's the way that God said to make your sin right, is a life for, to cover the sin. And so they would bring a, a blood sacrifice of an animal to cover their sins. And so there's been lots of messages and, and people have said, okay, because Cain didn't bring a, a blood sacrifice. But there's nothing in this, this passage to suggest it was that. It says it's the first fruits. The, at the harvest time, they're bringing the first fruits of their offering. And so that was perfectly acceptable to bring whatever you did, however you made money, however you provided a living, you brought the first of that and you presented it to God. So what was unacceptable about Cain's offering if it wasn't that he just brought the wrong thing? And we get a little bit more of a clue. We get more insight when you look at Hebrews chapter 11, chapter on faith, and it says, by faith, Abel brought his offering to God. It was faith that Abel had, that Abel was doing it with his whole heart. And Cain, that suggests that Cain, his heart wasn't in it. A lukewarm Christian going through the motions. Cain didn't bring his offering by faith as a show of love and honor to God. It was just going through the motions. Tradition. Okay, I go to church on Sundays. Maybe I even go to group. Maybe I even serve on a team. But my heart is not dedicated to the one who created me. And see, that is much scarier to me because it's one thing to think, oh, Cain just disobeyed. He disobeyed. Okay, that was a mistake. But if he brought his offering, but it's that his heart wasn't alive for Christ. That's a much bigger sobering thought. And so God says here a warning. He talks to Cain. He says, listen, Cain, sin is crouching at your door. And that word gives us a very interesting visual. If anyone, are there any cat people here? It's, very, it's, a, it's a heated thing, cats versus dogs, but okay, we're going to go with the cat today. So if you've ever seen a cat, either a house cat or a wild cat in the world, when, you know, they're just doing their thing, minding their biz, and then when they see something they want to go after, what do they do? They crouch, and they make themselves as small as they can, and they get down, and they're like, you don't see me. 
you don't see me, I'm not here. And they become so tiny, I can't make my body look like a cat. But the point is, they're just gonna absolutely kill me today. I keep messing stuff up on this mic. The point is, it gets low. And this is what God says sin is doing. It says it's crouching, it's hiding. I'm gonna make myself look so small. And he's like, Cain, Cain, you don't wanna murder your brother. It's just a little bit of jealousy, but you don't see me. You don't see me, I'm just here, and I'm tiny, and I'm a little cat, and I'm hiding behind this shoe. But God says, it's, it's crouching. It's making itself look small, but it's going to get you. It's waiting to pounce on you. And so that is what sin does. It tries to make itself look smaller. It's not that big of a deal. I've got it under control. It's just my thought life. What does that matter? I'm not acting on it. I'm just passionate. I just like to admire beauty, whatever it is. Sin will make itself look, try to look small in your eyes. And God says, it's there and it's waiting to get you. And if you, I didn't put the rest of the story there, but Cain ends up killing Abel because of his jealousy. So I want to take some time just with this visual. It even gives us the visual of a door, that it's crouching at a door. And so let's say this door is the door to sin in my life. Because when I become a Christian, I'm saying that I'm closing, I'm entering a new a new kingdom, really. You know, I'm entering the kingdom of God and I'm closing this door to sin. And so what this door is gonna represent is when I open the door to sin. And so Jesus says, or God says, I'm gonna turn this so you can see two sides. You guys today are gonna represent the enemy in sin. Sorry, boo. This side, let me hear the redeemed. What up? Okay, cool. All right. Something personal. Just make sure you repent after. Um, so let me explain something about the enemy and the voice of the enemy. Over here, when he's crouching at the door, his voice, he's, he's a tempter, and it just sounds so good, and everything sounds so good, and it's like, hey, remember your old friends? Remember how much fun they had? Remember before you had responsibilities? Remember how good pornography used to make you feel? Remember, remember how powerful it felt to scream at your family and and now no one respects you because the voice, it's a tempter, and it sounds so good. It's like, man, you just, you just need to let off some steam. You just need to, you just need to relax. You just, nobody really understands you, but over here you're understood more. There's le- and it's a tempter's voice, and it sounds so good. And so we sit over here, and we're like, okay, yeah, I do just need to let off steam. I don't really feel respected in my family. No one really appreciates how hard I work, so maybe I do deserve this. Maybe I deserve just to, to let loose a little bit, or why is it wrong to get attention from him at work? Because my husband doesn't really give me any, or maybe I want to feel sorry for myself a little bit and have thoughts of self-pity, because, you know, people don't understand me. Whatever it is, and we listen to that tempter's voice, and we're like, yeah, and, and it's temporary, right? Just, just a little bit. And so we open that door to sin. And what happens here, the transformation that happens from the enemy who starts as a tempter, and it just sounds so good, and it's just like it's not permanent, it's just a little bit, and it's not going to hurt, and what's the big deal? When you open that door to sin, and you make the choice to sin, the transformation that happens with the enemy's voice in your life, he busts through that door like the Kool-Aid man. Oh, yeah. 
right? Because you've opened the door. And what happens between tempter, now he becomes your tormentor. And he walks to that door and he's like, you idiot. How could you have done that? Nobody's going to accept you after that. Everyone knows you're a fraud. You're such a loser. You know, you, you're so mad at your dad for walking out on you, but look at how much you're screwing up your kids. They'd be better if you left. You're, gosh, you're such a fake you can't go back now. You can't go back now. You can't confess that. You'll never change. You'll be just like your mom. He goes from being a, te- a voice of temptation. It sounds so nice. It sounds so temporary. It sounds so no big deal. And as soon as we open that door and give them, and sin gives them entrance into our life, boy, that voice changes. And he's now your tormentor. He's the accuser. The Bible says he's the accuser of the brethren. He's just waiting for an excuse to accuse you. It's not just fun things. Like I said, it's not just like, oh, yeah, I want to go get drunk. Anything, any, any, any thought of sin, rejection. Yeah, nobody, nobody likes you. They only hang out with you because they like your family or they like your sibling. They want to use your car. You don't really have any friends feeling sorry for yourself. It's just not fair. I didn't, I didn't have the same, the same family that they did. I'm so far behind, and I just feeling thoughts of self-pity. It doesn't matter what it is, but when we, when we allow the sin to make home in our heart, we give an open door to the enemy. Let me give you an example of how this happened to me last weekend. I was at an event last weekend. It was a very somber event. It was a very serious event, and I had my phone on silent, but for some reason, it spazzed out and it opened an app and started playing like a podcast. It was very loud. My phone was frozen. I couldn't turn the sound down. I couldn't unlock it to stop it. It was only a few seconds, but you know, it felt like an eternity. And so, of course, I was embarrassed. I finally got it off and, you know. But the rest, as the day went on, I was so tormented by something that was an embarrassing moment and, an, you know, happens it just happened but I was getting more and more tormented with thoughts like you and you call yourself a pastor and you you know it looks like you're playing for, and nobody's going to respect you it looks so disrespectful and just like really tormented of something that should have just been like oh it was embarrassing but let's move on and so I posted on our communication tool with the group that I lead my discipleship group, and I said, I am really struggling. I, I am really being, I'm, I'm, I can't stop crying. I'm just so tormented by this thing that happened today. And one of my friends, one of the girls called me, and she said with such clarity, and it was exactly what I needed to hear. She said, you're making this event about you, and it's not. And it was like the second she said that, the Holy Spirit was like, it's pride. Pride is an open door. Pride is sin. So if there's any pride in my heart that says I'm better than I am or I'm supposed to be, whatever. Pride kept, crept in. Don't you see? Pride is the thing that was the open door. So something that's like, oh, an embarrassing moment, something that happened, instead of it just being like, oh, gosh, it was an open door. The sin of pride is an open door to be tormented by the enemy. And as soon as she said it, it was like, felt clarity. And I was like, it's pride. You are right. And I repented. I said, Lord, forgive me of pride. Forgive me of the pride that's crept in my heart. And it was done. It was done. The, the torment was over. The condemnation was over because I repented for pride. And that's another reason why fellowship's so important. You think, she just called you up and told you you were proud? Yes, she did. And I'm so grateful. And I say, do it a thousand times more. 
because we all, we all have to hold each other accountable. That's why I posted it. If you don't post, if you don't share what you're going through, then you can't have friends that say, I see something going on that you don't see because you're deceived. And so I think this is why in the New Testament, there's so many verses on fleeing. There's so many verses that say to flee from sin, to run away from it. And I don't, I'm just gonna flash a bunch on the screen. We don't have time to go into the context of each one, but you can at home, you can see exactly what he's saying to flee from. It's various sins. I'm just gonna show you, you know, the examples of how many times. Second Timothy 2, so flee youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord. First Corinthians 10, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry, flee from sexual immorality, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. And you can go read. I think in this scripture, it's the love of money and idolatry, some other things. Flee these things. Oh, I might put that one in twice. First Corinthians, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Common to man. Okay, so right there for the condemnation, like nobody else does this thing. Listen, the sin we're struggling, it's common to all of us. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will always provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. He's saying that the sin that we wrestle with, it's common. It's gonna make you feel like you can't get away from it, you can't overcome it, but you can. God's gonna provide a way of escape. You know, escape is not like, if, if, if my work building is on fire, and I gotta get out, or there's an active shooter in the building, I'm not gonna go and wait for the, the elevator, you know. You know, escape means I am going to get out of the building. I'm not going to grab my purse. I'm not going to put my heels back on. I'm going to jump out the window. I'm going to go down the stairs. I'm going to get out at all costs. I'm going to escape. And this is what God tells us to do with sin. This is how we're to treat sin. This is how we're to treat that door that we've closed of our old life, of our sin nature, of our old thoughts. Our old... It says run away from it. Get away. But this is what we do. We, sit down, we make our camp right here. I'm redeemed. I'm redeemed. I'm, I'm, I'm over here now. But man, do you remember how good it was? You know, sometimes there's thoughts in our mind that's like, I miss those old friends or I miss that not having responsibility. Or You know, we make our camp right here. And God is saying, Jesus says, you need to get up and you need to come into the kingdom and pursue a relationship with the Holy Spirit. When I was a, a little girl, we, were, we grew up in Sanford, and we lived, uh, back then it was not developed at all. It's still not super developed, that, that particular neighborhood, but it was like in the woods, it was in the wild. And so there was one day I was playing outside as a little girl, and um, a raccoon kind of stumbled up to me. Uh, have you ever seen a wild animal that kind of looks like it's drunk and it's out in daytime? If you know anything about wildlife, that's not normal behavior for a raccoon to be just like partying in the daytime, you know, with the kids. And so this raccoon is stumbling up to me and I'm like, Dad, a raccoon! You know, it's like Pocahontas, like he's coming to me. To, we're connecting, you know. And so I said, Dad, look at this raccoon! I've made a pet friend! And so my dad was on the porch and he goes inside quickly and he comes back out with the gun and he holds up the shotgun and he says, Aslan, run. And so in an eight-year-old's mind or however old I was, boy, I just ran as fast as I could to the bed of his truck. And in my mind, I had like this raccoon, like, you know, like, 
I'm sure it didn't even move. It probably was just, you know. But I was thinking about this story the other day. So if that raccoon was out, it meant he was either sick with rabies, some kind of sickness. It wasn't normal behavior. And I was thinking about it, and I was like, man, if I didn't, if I didn't trust my dad in that moment, if I hadn't run, what would have happened? And I'm like, if I would have been like, no, 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 this one's different. Put the gun away. You know, like, let me show you. If I had not obeyed him, my dad still would have come and rescued me. I'm confident of that. He wouldn't have been like, oh, what an idiot. (laughs) Fine, I have two other daughters. We're good. You know, he wouldn't have done that. He would have still rescued me, but it would have been different. He would have had to come over and grab that thing by the hands and rip it from me. And there's a good chance that I would have had some kind of pain from that experience. Either been bitten and, and now had the infection that that animal had, could have been scratched and left a scar, and I could have permanently carried with me the marks of that moment if I didn't run. And so that, that visual, I thought about that the other day when studying sin, that God says, Flee, show, show that you're putting some distance between you and that thing that calls out to you. Use your will to be like, you know what, I'm not just going to sit here and cry and be like, kumbaya, my Lord. No, I'm going to just go, I'm going to pursue a life with the Holy Spirit because everything I'm searching for, significance, you know why I work too much, right? Money is more important to me or why stuff is important is because I want to be significant. Well, there is nothing that can make you feel more significant than getting into a relationship with the one who gives you ultimate significance. There's nothing behind that door that's really going to fulfill me like that. Or if I want love, it's like, but it just feels so good to get attention from these people. Connect with the life source that created love, who loves you more than anything. There's nothing behind this door that's going to be as fulfilling in love as Christ not going to happen. But we sit so close to it. And we, if your Christian life is about staring at the door of everything you had to give up, you're missing what Christianity is. It's not just sitting and waiting like, well, boy, that, that was the life. No, there is so much fulfillment and freedom and purpose over here, pursuing the life of, with Christ. And so, okay. I'm going to close with this last verse. James says something really interesting that I want to end with. It says here that if you submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will what? He's going to flee from me. If I submit myself, if I'm over here living, pursuing, reading the word, praying, having accountability, serving, loving people, whatever, whatever pursuing that fulfilled life with Christ. If I do that, if I'm submitted, if I'm I'm repenting daily, because see, that's the thing. Repentance needs to be a daily thing. When I see sin in my heart, I say, Lord, forgive me. You paid the price. Forgive me. I've fallen short again. I want to be walking right with you. When I'm doing that, and when I'm far away, I'm not just focused on that door. When that call comes through, when that tempter's voice starts to say something, it's like Odysseus, right? When the siren song comes, when the siren starts singing, I'm aware because I, I'm, I'm walking with Christ. I'm in step with his Holy Spirit. I know what his voice sounds like, and I know now what that siren song sounds like. And so when those sirens start singing, I'm like, uh-uh, 
tie me to the mast, tie me to the cross of Christ. I'm not going back to that tour. Tie me down over here. I'm going to have accountability. I'm going to call somebody. I'm going to talk it through. Whatever I have to do, that when that temptation comes, when the voice of the tempter sits behind the door and is like, come on, come on. It's not a big deal. I'm going to say, uh-uh. And the Bible says that when I do that, when I'm able to be like, oh, wait, 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 I hear you. I hear that voice. I see you. I know you're the enemy. I know that lie is not real. I know there's not permanent pleasure over there. It says, he's over here like, you know, come on, come on. Oh, she sees me. She sees me for what I am. And he, it says, he flees from us. We see example of this in the Bible with Jesus. Satan comes to Jesus in the desert and he's like, look what I can give you. I can give you all this stuff. And Jesus replies with scripture. He's like, uh-uh, uh-uh. And, and, and Satan fled from him. And so we know we have that promise. If I'm submitted, I can resist that siren song and he will flee. Doesn't mean he's going to flee forever. He might come back in an hour, a day, a week. But we know we have this promise from God. We can go ahead and stand as I close this verse out. We're going to have the band. I'm going to have the band end us in a song because I want to take a moment for us to have a time of repentance together. Scripture says, wash your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, double, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. There can be this idea that, that this lie that's like, man, the closer you are to God, the less you probably have to repent. You know, like, you're just probably like killing it and you don't fall. Listen, the closer you get to God, the more you repent because you see your sin. You see it. You see it more because you're more sensitive to the Holy Spirit to realize like, man, that was a thought of pride. That was a thought of self-pity. That was a thought of unforgiveness. So if you have this idea that like repentance is something you do once on a weekend retreat or just when I've been really, really bad and I need to rededicate my life, it's not. It's a lifestyle. It's a daily lifestyle of repentance that says, God, I want you in control. I, I, I want to I be in the house. I want to live how you've told me to live, even though sometimes that seems so contrary to my nature. But pride will keep you from repenting. Fear will keep you from repenting. You'll think, well, what will people think of me? Or they're just going to peck me with this sin because I keep doing it. Or I don't want to be accountable because I might go back to that thing and then everyone's going to know and they're going to call we need to connect. We got to connect with the Holy Spirit if we want to see a change come to our nation and our city. And we can only do that by having a heart and an attitude of repentance. And so the last thing I'm going to say is in that story of Cain and Abel, God comes to Cain after he kills Abel and he says, where's your brother? God didn't ask this question because he didn't know what happened. God was giving him a chance, I believe, to repent giving them a chance and so as we sing this song you're free to do whatever you want or nothing you can worship in your seats you can kneel but well i'll have some of the pastors and leaders come down too if there's something if there's a siren that's in your ear that keeps calling to you through that door then i want you to come down and we'll pray with you just just having someone to pray with you to say this is the thing that i can't seem to get past or that i always go back to even though i was done with it 30 years ago if you're being tormented come let us pray with you
And if you're online, um, this is a moment for you too. Go ahead, type in the chat box. You can do a private chat box with the pastors online. Let them pray for you. Confess whatever sin might be, be holding you back or separating you from Christ.